Our English Watering Place. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Charles Dickens' 200th Anniversary Collection, Volume 3. Our English Watering Place by Charles Dickens. In the autumn time of the year, when the great metropolis is so much hotter, so much noisier, so much more dusty, or so much more water-carded, so much more crowded, so much more disturbing and distracting in all respects than it usually is, a quiet sea-beach becomes indeed a blessed spot. Half awake and half asleep, this idle morning in our sunny window on the edge of a chalk cliff in the old-fashioned watering-place to which we are a faithful resorter, we feel a lazy inclination to sketch its picture. The place seems to respond. Sky, sea, beach, and village lie as still before us as if they were sitting for the picture. It is dead low water. A ripple plays among the ripening corn upon the cliff as if it were faintly trying from recollection to imitate the sea. And the world of butterflies hovering over the crop of radish-seed are as restless in their little way as the gulls are in their larger manner when the wind blows. But the ocean lies winking in the sunlight like a drowsy lion. Its glassy waters scarcely curve upon the shore. The fishing-boats in the tiny harbor are all stranded in the mud. Our two colliers, our watering-place has a maritime trade employing that amount of shipping, have not an inch of water within a quarter of a mile of them, and turn exhausted on their sides like faint fish of an antediluvian species. Rusty cables and chains, ropes and rings, undermost parts of posts and piles and confused timber defences against the waves lie strewn about in a brown litter of tangled seaweed and fallen cliff which looks as if a family of giants had been making tea here for ages and had observed an untidy custom of throwing their tea-leaves on the shore in truth our watering-place itself has been left somewhat high and dry by the tide of years Concerned as we are for its honor, we must reluctantly admit that the time when this pretty little semicircular sweep of houses, tapering off at the end of the wooden pier into a point in the sea, was a gay place, and when the lighthouse overlooking it shone at daybreak on company dispersing from public balls, is but dimly traditional now. There is a bleak chamber in our watering-place which is yet called the Assembly Rooms and understood to be available on hire for balls or concerts and some few seasons since an ancient little gentleman came down and stayed at the hotel who said that he had danced there in bygone ages with the honourable miss peepy well known to have been the beauty of her day and the cruel occasion of innumerable duels but he was so old and shrivelled and so very rheumatic in the legs that it demanded more imagination than our watering-place can usually muster to believe him. Therefore except the master of the rooms, who to this hour wears knee-breeches, and who confirmed the statement with tears in his eyes, nobody did believe in the little lame old gentleman, 
nor even in the honourable Miss Peepy, long deceased. As to subscription balls in the assembly rooms of our watering-place now, red-hot cannon-balls are less improbable. Sometimes a misguided wanderer of a ventriloquist, or an infant phenomenon, or a juggler, or somebody with an orrery that is several stars behind the time, takes the place for a night, and issues bills with the name of his last town lined out, and the name of ours ignominiously written in. But you may be sure this never happens twice to the same unfortunate person. On such occasions the discoloured old billiard-table that is seldom played at, unless the ghost of the Honourable Miss Peepy plays at pool with other ghosts, is pushed into a corner, and benches are solemnly constituted into front seats, back seats, and reserve seats, which are much the same after you have paid, and a few dull candles are lighted, wind permitting, and the performer and the scanty audience play out a short match which will make the other most low-spirited, which is usually a drawn game. After that, the performer instantly departs with maledictory expressions, and is never heard of more. But the most wonderful feature of our assembly rooms is that an annual sale of fancy and other china is announced here with mysterious constancy and perseverance. Where the china comes from, where it goes to, why it is annually put up to auction when nobody ever thinks of bidding for it, how it comes to pass that it is always the same china, whether it would not have been cheaper, with the sea at hand to have thrown it away, say, in 1830, are standing enigmas. Every year the bills come out. Every year the master of rooms gets into a little pulpit on a table and offers it for sale. Every year nobody buys it. Every year it is put away somewhere till next year when it appears again as if the whole thing were a new idea. We have a faint remembrance of an unearthly collection of clocks, purporting to be the work of Parisian and Genovese artists, chiefly bilious-faced clocks, supported on sickly white crutches, with their pendulums dangling like lame legs, to which a similar course of events occurred for years, until they seemed to lapse away of mere imbecility. Attached to our assembly rooms is a library. There is a wheel of fortune in it, but it is rusty and dusty, and never turns. A large doll with movable eyes was put up to be raffled for, by five-and-twenty members at two shillings, seven years ago this autumn, and the list is not full yet. We are rather sanguine now that the raffle will come off next year. We think so because we only want nine members, and should only want eight. But for number two, having grown up since her name was entered, and withdrawn it when she was married. Down the street there is a toy ship of considerable burden, in the same condition. Two of the boys who were entered for that raffle have gone to India in real ships since, and one was shot and died in the arms of his sister's lover by whom he sent his last words home. This is the library for the Minerva Press. If you want that kind of reading, come to our watering-place. The leaves of the romances, reduced to a condition very like curl-paper, are thickly studded with notes in pencil. 
sometimes complimentary, sometimes jocose. Some of these commentators, like commentators in a more extensive way, quarrel with one another. One young gentleman who sarcastically writes, oh, after every sentimental passage, is pursued through his literary career by another who writes, insulting beast. Miss Julia Mills has read the whole collection of these books. She has left marginal notes on these pages as, Is not this truly touching? J. M. How thrilling! J. M. Entranced here by the magician's potent spell! J. M. She has also italicized her favorite traits in the description of the hero, as his hair, which was dark and wavy, clustered in rich profusion around a marble brow, whose lofty paleness bespoke the intellect within. It reminds her of another hero. She adds, How like B. L. Can this be mere coincidence? J. M. You would hardly guess which is the main street of our watering place but you may know it by its being always stopped up with donkey chaises. Whenever you come here and see harnessed donkeys eating clover out of barrows drawn completely across a narrow thoroughfare, you may be quite sure you are in our high street. Our police you may know by his uniform, likewise by his never on any account interfering with anybody, especially the tramps and vagabonds. In our fancy shops we have a capital collection of damaged goods, among which the flies of countless summers have been roaming. We are great in obsolete seals, and in faded pin-cushions, and in rickety camp-stools, and in exploded cutlery, and in miniature vessels, and in stunted little telescopes, and in objects made of shells that pretend not to be shells. Diminutive spades, barrows, and baskets are our principal articles of commerce, but even they don't look quite new somehow. They always seem to have been offered and refused somewhere else before they came down to our watering place. Yet it must not be supposed that our watering place is an empty place, deserted by all visitors except a few staunch persons of approved fidelity. On the contrary, the chances are that if you came down here in August or September, you wouldn't find a house to lay your head in. As to finding either house or lodging of which you could reduce the terms, you could scarcely engage in a more hopeless pursuit. For all this, you are to observe that every season is the worst season ever known, and that the householding population of our watering place are ruined regularly every autumn. They are like the farmers, in regard that it is surprising how much ruin they will bear. We have an excellent hotel, capital baths, warm, cold, and shower, first-rate bathing machines, and as good butchers, bakers, and grocers as heart could desire. They all do business, it is to be presumed, from motives of philanthropy. But it is quite certain that they are all being ruined their interest in strangers, and their politeness under ruin, bespeak their amiable nature. You would say so, if you only saw the baker helping a newcomer to find suitable apartments. So far from being at a discount as to company, 
we are in fact what would be popularly called rather a knobby place some tip-top knobs come down occasionally even dukes and duchesses we have known such carriages to blaze among the donkey chaises as made beholders wink attendant on these equipages come resplendent creatures in plush and powder who are sure to be stricken disgusted with the indifferent accommodation of our watering-place and who of an evening particularly when it rains may be seen very much out of drawing in rooms far too small for their fine figures looking discontentedly out of little back windows into by-streets the lords and ladies get on well enough and quite good-humouredly but if you want to see the gorgeous phenomena who wait upon them at a perfect non-plus you should come and look at the resplendent creatures with little back parlours for servants halls and turned-up bedsteads to sleep in at our watering-place you have no idea how they take it to heart we have a pier a queer old wooden pier fortunately without the slightest pretensions to architecture, and very picturesque in consequence. Boats are hauled up upon it, ropes are coiled all over it, lobster-pots, nets, masts, oars, spars, sails, ballast, and rickety capstans make a perfect labyrinth of it. Forever hovering about this pier, with their hands in their pockets, or leaning over the rough bulwark it opposes to the sea, gazing through telescopes which they carry about in the same profound receptacles, are the boatmen of our watering-place. Looking at them you would say that surely these must be the laziest boatmen in the world. They lounge about in obstinate and inflexible pantaloons that are apparently made of wood, the whole season through whether talking together about the shipping in the channel or gruffly unbending over mugs of beer at the public-house you would consider them the slowest of men the chances are a thousand to one that you might stay here for ten seasons and never see a boatman in a hurry a certain expression about his loose hands when they are not in his pockets as if he were carrying a considerable lump of iron in each without any inconvenience suggests strength but he never seems to use it he has the appearance of perpetually strolling running is too inappropriate a word to be thought of to seed the only subject on which he seems to feel any approach to enthusiasm is pitch he pitches everything he can lay hold of the pier the palings his boat his house when there is nothing else left he turns to and even pitches his hat or his rough-weather clothing do not judge him by deceitful appearances these are among the bravest and most skilful mariners that exist let a gale arise and swell into a storm let a sea run that might appall the stoutest heart that ever beat let the lightboat on these dangerous sands throw up a rocket in the night or let them hear through the angry roar the signal guns of a ship in distress and these men spring up into activity so dauntless so valiant and heroic that the world cannot surpass it cavillers may object that they chiefly live upon the salvage of valuable cargoes so they do 
and God knows it is no great living that they get out of the deadly risks they run. But put that hope of gain aside. Let these rough fellows be asked, in any storm, who volunteers for the lifeboat to save some perishing souls, as poor and empty-handed as themselves, whose lives the perfection of human reason does not rate at the value of a farthing each, and that boat will be manned as surely and as cheerfully as if a thousand pounds were tolled down on the weather-beaten pier. For this, and for the recollection of their comrades whom we have known, whom the raging sea has engulfed before their children's eyes in such brave efforts, whom the secret sand has buried, we hold the boatmen of our watering-place in our love and honour, and are tender of the fame they well deserve. So many children are brought down to our watering-place that, when they are not out of doors, as they usually are in fine weather, it is wonderful where they are put, the whole village seeming much too small to hold them under cover. In the afternoons you see no end of salt and sandy little boots drying on upper window-sills. At bathing-time in the morning, the little bay re-echoes with every shrill variety of shriek and splash, after which, if the weather be at all fresh, the sands teem with small blue mottled legs. The sands are the children's great resort. They cluster there, like ants, so busy burying their particular friends, and making castles with infinite labor which the next tide overthrows, that it is curious to consider how their play, to the music of the sea, foreshadows the realities of their afterlives. It is curious, too, to observe a natural ease of approach that there seems to be between the children and the boatmen. They mutually make acquaintance, and take individual likings, without any help. You will come upon one of those slow, heavy fellows sitting down patiently mending a little ship for a mite of a boy, whom he could crush to death by throwing his lightest pair of trousers on him. You will be sensible of the oddest contrast between the smooth little creature and the rough man who seems to be carved out of hard-grained wood between the delicate hand expectantly held out and the immense thumb and finger that can hardly feel the rigging of thread they mend, between the small voice and the gruff growl. And yet there is a natural propriety in the companionship always to be noted in confidence between a child and a person who has any merit of reality and genuineness, which is admirably pleasant. We have a preventive station at our watering-place, and much the same thing may be observed, in a lesser degree because of their official character, of the coast blockade. A steady, trusty, well-conditioned, well-conducted set of men, with no misgivings about looking you full in the face, and with a quiet, thorough-going way of passing along to their duty at night, carrying huge sou'wester clothing in reserve that is fraught with all good prepossession. They are handy fellows, neat about their houses, industrious at gardening, would get on with their wives, one thinks, in a desert island, and people it, too, soon. As to the naval officer of the station, with his hearty fresh face and his blue eye that has pierced all kinds of weather, 
it warms our hearts when he comes into church on a sunday with that bright mixture of blue coat buff waistcoat black neckerchief and gold epaulette that is associated in the minds of all englishmen with brave unpretending cordial national service we like to look at him in his sunday state and if we were first lord really possessing the indispensable qualification for the office of knowing nothing whatever about the sea we would give him a ship to-morrow we have a church by the by of course a hideous temple of flint like a great petrified haystack our chief clerical dignitary who to his honour has done much for education both in time and money and has established excellent schools is a sound shrewd healthy gentleman who has got into a little occasional difficulties with the neighbouring farmers but has had a pestilent trick of being right under a new regulation he has yielded the church of our watering-place to another clergyman upon the whole we get on in church well we are a little bilious sometimes about these days of fraternization and about nations arriving at new and more unprejudiced knowledge of each other which our christianity doesn't quite approve but it soon goes off and then we get on very well there are two dissenting chapels besides in our small watering-place being in about the proportion of a hundred and twenty guns to a yacht but the dissension that has torn us lately has not been a religious one it has arisen on the novel question of gas our watering-place has been convulsed by the agitation gas or no gas it was never reasoned why no gas but there was a great no gas party broadsides were printed and stuck about a startling circumstance in our watering-place the no gas party rested content with chalking no gas and down with gas and other such angry war whoops on the few back gates and scraps of wall which the limits of our watering-place afford but the gas party printed and posted bills wherein they took the high ground of proclaiming against the no gas party that it was said let there be light and there was light and that not to have light that is gaslight in our watering-place was to contravene the great decree whether by these thunderbolts or not the no-gas party were defeated and in the present season we have had our handful of shops illuminated for the first time such of the no-gas party however as have got shops remain in opposition and burn tallow exhibiting in their windows the very picture of the sulkiness that punishes itself and a new illustration of the old adage about cutting off your nose to be revenged on your face in cutting off their gas to be revenged on their business other population than we have indicated our watering-place has none there are a few old used-up boatmen who creep about in the sunlight with the help of sticks and there is a poor imbecile shoemaker who wanders his lonely life away among the rocks as if he were looking for his reason which he will never find sojourners in neighbouring watering-places come occasionally in flies to stare at us and drive away again as if they thought us very dull italian boys come punch comes the fantoccini come the tumblers come the ethiopians come 
glee singers come at night and hum and vibrate not always melodiously under our windows but they all go soon and leave us to ourselves again we once had a travelling circus and wombell's menagerie at the same time they both know better than ever to try it again and the menagerie had nearly raised us from the face of the earth in getting the elephant away his caravan was so large and the watering-place so small we have a fine sea wholesome for all people profitable for the body profitable for the mind the poet's words are sometimes on its awful lips and the stately ships go on to their haven under the hill but oh for the touch of a vanished hand and the sound of a voice that is still break 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 at the foot of thy crags o sea but the tender grace of a day that is dead will never come back to me yet it is not always so for the speech of the sea is various and wants not abundant resource of cheerfulness hope and lusty encouragement and since i have been idling at the window here the tide has risen the boats are dancing on the bubbling water the colliers are afloat again the white-boarded waves rush in the children do chase the ebbing neptune and do fly him when he comes back the radiant sails are gliding past the shore and shining on the far horizon all the sea is sparkling heaving swelling up with life and beauty this bright morning End of Our English Watering Place Recording by Rhonda Fetterman